going to go ahead and start this here. Mark chapter 4. If we can turn to Mark chapter 4 tonight. Rightio, rightio. This will be our last class until August. And then I'm going to be starting, in August, we're going to be starting a series on health, healing, and overcoming defilement. We're going to be looking at that aspect of it on healing. So this this will be our last class on the renewing of the mind. And uh, <clears throat> I've got a couple of things that... <clears throat> I had this the strangest title, and I, I was so tempted to put this, but I, I thought that uh, you guys might throw me out of the church if I put this title out here tonight. In fact, uh, because you probably... you I was thinking you'd probably think... Pastor Ray definitely has a problem, but I, uh, because of where I'm going with this uh, word tonight, it's entitled The Other Woman. <laughs> but it, it all has to do, hang, 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 hold on here, don't, don't, don't throw me out, there's, there's no issue here, but <clears throat> when, when we get into the word and you hear about this, because it's all connected with renewing the mind, and uh, you know, we've been on this series about renewing the mind and the healing of the mind. And one of the things that we find is that we have a tendency to get attached to things. We can become attached to certain beliefs, certain ways of thinking. Uh, several years ago, a real good friend of mine, uh, he was actually raised in a very, very religious background, comes up. And he just, he just gets saved in the, from the standpoint that he discovers the message of the grace of God, God's grace in his life. And when he, when he really committed, turned his heart over to the Lord, and as he began to move in in his relationship and grow in the knowledge of the grace of God, he found this conflict existed between what he knew to be true and what God's word was beginning to reveal to him versus things that he grew up with, certain convictions, certain ideas that he didn't realize he'd become attached to. I mean, really strong. And he had a difficult time uh, making that, that trans transition. Um, my own wife, Carol, when Carol was, when I was Actually, before I was dating my wife, Carol, she was raised up in a particular religious movement. And in the movement that she was raised in, uh, some of you will probably recognize this when I say it. I'm not going to say it for the sake of, because this is going over the Internet. But it was a particular religious movement that did not embrace wearing makeup and women wearing jewelry and, and uh, women had to wear certain clothing. You, you couldn't even darken the doors of a church with that kind of... of uh, but she, my wife was raised in that. It, it, it was called the holiness movement. 
And, uh, and when, when she come out of that and come, come into our church in Bible Temple, the one thing that she noticed, her and her family noticed, was the joy. The joy of a lot of believers that they had and the one thing that they realized where they came from, the thing that was lacking was joy. There was, there was a real conflict of, of, uh, within the lives of people because under the religious system, there's a lot of bondage, a lot of fear. But as, they, as, as, as she was introduced more to the message, the gospel of peace, the gospel of grace, and when people begin to hear the gospel of grace a lot of people begin to feel that it's a loosey-goosey gospel. And they begin to feel like, wow, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just throwing values and convictions to the wind and we're just kind of letting everything go. And, and it, it can really be a huge transition for people. Anybody ever come out of that type of a situation where you were, <laughs> you know, where, where you were raised under a very strong... Uh, you, you just feel like there were clamps on your life and on your mind and on your heart. And when you grow to know the, the gospel of faith and the gospel of grace and you begin to realize how Jesus was not here to constrict and restrict and bind you or put you into bondage, but his desire is for people to be free and to be healthy. And it, and, and it, and it can be a very difficult transition. So that's why I've entitled this message tonight, My Other Woman, uh, because you're going to realize uh, what the Apostle Paul... But before we get into this, I want to do a little bit of review. And uh, in fact, actually, keep your finger in Mark chapter 4, but go with me to Galatians 6. I, w I want to open up with this scripture because just to, as a premise where Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 3, it says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, one of the things that you've heard us say a lot over the period of weeks and months in the message of the grace of God, we have constantly been telling you how powerful you are. We are telling you how beautiful you are. But we all know, I, I want you to know, you know where we're coming from. It's, it's not about how powerful you are or how wonderful you are, it's, but it's Christ in you, the hope of God. Do we know that? Do we understand it? It's not about anything we do or have accomplished. It's not about our effort, our strength, our ability, our accomplishments, our tasks, uh, what we do, our sacrifices. No, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So when we, when we refer to the Word made flesh. We're talking about the Word actually being allowed through your life to flow out of your life because of the Holy Spirit that abides in you. You see, when I obey God, when I walk in love towards others, when I live to serve others, I'm actually allowing Jesus and the Father to be glorified in my life. That's what's happening. It, even in very practical ways. And that's, that's the beauty of Jesus on your life. When, when I tell you you're beautiful, when I tell you that you are powerful, I'm not in any way bringing any kind of affirmation or compliment 
to you in, in, in any sense that you have in your own strength done something. In no way. What we're doing is we're giving glory to God for what he's able to do through you and what he's still yet to do through you. So I want to make sure that in the renewing of our minds, it's, I'm not, this is not just uh, what we call the science of, of radical uh, modified behavior change. We're not talking about just changing our behavior or changing the way we think or just um, making certain adjustments in the, uh, the power of positive thinking. That's not what we're doing at all. We, we're literally talking about possessing the mind of Christ because of a union we have with the Holy Spirit. I am so united in the Holy Spirit that Paul the Apostle even goes so far as to say this, that in him we live and move and have our being. What that means is, is the union is so strong and so powerful and complete in my spirit man and my soul man is that Jesus literally sees through me, speaks through me, dreams through me, moves through me because I am his. I've been surrendered to him. And you see, uh, we, we need to get to that point where we begin to realize that it's no longer my words, my thoughts, or my actions, but it's him, Christ in me. James even puts it this way. The book of James says that he who speaks a word, let him speak as the oracles of God. Do you know what the word oracle there means in the Greek? It literally means to speak or to share as though God himself is speaking through you. In other words, the word there to speak or to prophesy, the the word prophetic there also means to speak or to share as though God himself is saying it through you. And he he wants you to know that. You say, well, Pastor Ray, that's almost like, are, are you saying that you are God? No, I'm not saying that I'm God, but I'm saying Christ in me. It is Christ in me. And, and when he, he, he didn't say to speak for God. He says to speak as though God is speaking through you. And, and, and also that also means you're to think as though God is thinking. For instance, for if, if I ever have a thought to do something fruitful or good, that's no longer me, but Christ in me. If I, if I decide to give someone, in fact, Jesus made one day re- in reference to something. He says, if a man chooses to give a cup of cold water to someone, else, just, just give someone a cup of cold water. He, he says he's literally living in the kingdom of God is alive in you. And you see, he's trying to break it down to very simple, very practical things. Uh, whatever you, when you when you come up to someone and you you speak a word of encouragement, whether you go over and you mow someone's lawn, uh, if you take a meal, if you go and pray for someone who is sick, Jesus and the apostles in the epistles are trying to communicate to us <clears throat> that you are not. You are not living and exercising your own strength and your own life on your own. It is Christ in you that is doing the work. 
It's the works. You know, the, the Bible talks about that we are to be uh, full of good works. Jesus died to save us from dead works so that we would be uh, saved and lived for good works. Dead works is when I begin to exercise my will, and I make certain determinations and decisions based on what I need to do for either his approval, or I try to do things in my own strength apart from that relationship and apart from the Holy Spirit living and abiding in me, but I do it on my own strength, or I either serve out of fear. There are people today that come to church and they serve, they give, they sacrifice out of fear. Oh, I want to, I, I even hate to say this, I'm going to say it, but I'm going to say it. There are some people who say, you know, I, I just told Pastor Ray accepts me. I just told Pastor Ray, I, I've, uh, there are people that think that way. Pastor Ray, uh, am I okay? Why would you ask that? I just want to make sure you're okay with me. Well, yes, we're okay, but you need to know that you're okay with him. You're, you're, you don't need my approval. Well, I just want to make sure you're okay. See, a lot, people, people even subconsciously do that. They, they live in fear of man. Well, see, what the Bible refers to that as is walking in your living, you're, you're, you're in this fear of man, and you're living in the, that fear, and so you exercise, you, you act, you live, you walk out in fear of man, and what that does is that begins to bring bondage. You, you live in bondage of, of a person. And uh, I've had people do this. Uh, sometimes we used to have a prayer room down here at the fellowship hall. And many times I'd be running down the hallway to get the service started here. There was a few times where people would be in the hallway and they'd want to stop me. Pastor, I I, I, got to get the start to the service. And then weeks would go by and that person, I wouldn't see him at church. Carol and I would call, I haven't seen you for a few weeks. Well, Pastor, I, I know you're a busy man and you don't have time to talk to me. And uh, you're busy. And I said, what happened? What, what do you mean? Do you remember the time where you were running down the hall and I just tried to shake your hand and you didn't have one second for me? I, and I said, I am so sorry, but I was trying to get the service started. But do you see what I'm talking about? People can literally throw a monkey wrench into the whole relationship because I didn't stop right there and have a conversation. You know, I, I say this with all carefulness here, but Pastor Ray and Sister Carol try to touch everybody on Sunday. And I want to say this carefully, but there are times where people want to come and stop us and give us their life story. And, and we're, we're trying to connect with everybody. Do you guys want us to understand what I'm saying? I want to hear your life story, but not Sunday before church. I, I would rather hear it during the week, or you know what I'm saying? Your life story matters to us. But it's all about timing. But it, it's, it's so important that, that you give us a little space. Sundays are tough for us. Because like I said, we want to connect with everybody. But, but this all comes back to how healthy we are. The renewing of my mind is going to change my attitude. 
going to change my perspective on myself. The healthier you become, you're going to become less and less stressed out. You're not going to stress the little things. And you're actually not going to stress the big things. You're going to learn to uh, allow some things to, you're going to let go of some things. You're not going to be so critical and so hard on yourself and hard on other people. You're, you're really going to begin to enjoy life. The more healthy you become, you're going to actually start laughing more. How many of you think we ought to laugh more? You're going to laugh more. Uh, and also you're going to cry. You, you're free to cry. You're not living under the fear of approval of man. The, the healthier you are, you're, you're able to relate to, to strangers and you're able to talk to people. And, you know, you're, you're not, you're that, I wonder what they're thinking of me. I wonder how, I wonder, do I look right? Do I look good? I don't know. I don't think they, I don't think they like me. I mean, you know, the, there's people that live in that bondage. And, you know, one of the things, uh, again, part, part of the fruit of a healthy mind is you like you. You like yourself. Uh, you, you're, not, you're not judging and putting yourself down. And uh, here's some other things that you know you're growing healthy is you can take a compliment. People can say, thank you. You blessed me. I appreciate that. Instead of, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't tell me I did. It's, it's all God. It's all God. It wasn't me. It wasn't me at all. I'm just a low dog. I'm a low dog. I'm a dog. I am nothing. You see, that, that is what I call pride in reverse. I am trying to put myself down to let God and everybody else know how humble I am. And see, that's pride in reverse. And, and you see, God really wants you to know that you're a blessing, you're a joy, and you bring something to the table, and what a joy you are. Now, I want everybody to look at somebody and say, you bring joy. You are a joy. You bring laughter. You bring hope. That's right. See, you're, you're healthy. And, and you're not... You're not uh, you're not stressed and you're not bugged out, but you see, my, the renewing of my mind... <clears throat> now... <clears throat> Let's, let's jump back into Mark chapter 4 because, uh, see, uh, uh, I've got a couple things I've got to do tonight before 8 o'clock, before we get there. But Mark chapter 4, Jesus dealt with the parable of the sower, and we're starting there tonight because of the importance of two things he brings out. And I want you to see this in Mark's gospel chapter 4, verse 13. First of all, I'm going to open with prayer. I forgot to pray about this. Father, we just pray, Lord, as, as I know we're getting into this, we just, Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to just season and just, Lord, just continue to send the rain of heaven upon us. Lord, these, these folks have worked so hard today. And there's a lot of things, Lord, that they carry. And Father, I just pray that tonight, as we leave here tonight, there will be a sense of refreshing empowerment, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you that you come this, this evening to affirm us as sons and daughters. And Lord, you come this morning to just, this evening to embrace us as, as your people, special, a special treasure to yourself. Lord, just continue to allow the word, Lord, to heal. And Lord, enlarge us just to enlarge 
what we are and who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. See this here in, in passage. Uh, ch- chapter 4, verse 13, and Jesus says, Do you not understand the parable? Uh, he's, he's talking about the parable of the sower. And then he says this, listen to this in verse 13. He says, How then will you understand all the parables? Very important here. He said, if you don't get this... By the way, how many, how many of you know how many parables there are in the New Testament? There's 38. 38 parables that Jesus taught us. But he said, this parable is the key to all the parables. If you don't get this parable down, then the others are not going to get unlocked. If you don't get this one. Now remember what a parable is. A parable... Is, is, a, is a particular story or a principle that Jesus puts usually in some form of story form and he uses analogies and metaphors to illustrate it. Keep in mind that in Jesus' day, possibly 75% of the population in Jesus' day were illiterate. They didn't read. Unless they were the religious sect. Now, they did teach reading. The Jewish people were pretty strong in that. But far many of them, your fishermen, your farmers, the the general populace, they were illiterate people. So the Greek language is not a language like our English or Latin language. It's It's a language with word pictures. The Greek language is a, is a, a language of pictures because pictures send a much better message. That's why the Greek language is actually chopped up. And uh, that's why you have in your transliterations, they have to take the transliteration and translate it into a way where we in English can understand it. Because the, the, the Greek language was word pictures. They always taught in picture form. That's the way they taught. Jesus shared stories in picture form because of their illiteracy. So Jesus was connecting with the people. So he, he's teaching them about the parable of the sower. And in this passage, Jesus talks about four kinds of soil. He talks about the wayside hearer or the far side. Then he talks about the stony ground here. Then he talks about the thorns and thistles here. Thorns and thistle. And then he talked about the ground that is good ground. Amen. Everyone say good ground. <clears throat> God's interested. He's, now he's really retalking here about your mind. How you hear and how you think. Proverbs 23 says this, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. All of us come out of certain backgrounds, and we've been influenced by parents, family, churches, pastors, teachers, friends, uh, just different influences. And tonight we sit here, and we are a product of where we've come from. A lot of it's good. Some of it might be bad. Some of it may be really different and weird, but all of us are a product of where we've come from. Now, when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower, what he's, what he's, the real focus here is not just the fact that the parable came w- with seed to sow, but he's concerned about the ground the seed is falling on. Really concerned. When it comes to the renewing of our mind, how many of you know that it's possible for our minds to shut down when the word comes? Now, I want you to see something that Jesus talks about in the first part of this parable. And he says this, because in this 
passage, Jesus is interpreting the parable because the disciples said, Lord, what do you mean? In verse 10, what do you mean? It says he took him aside and he began to explain about the parable in verse 10. And notice here in verse 15, and these are the ones by the wayside. The, uh, another Greek word there is outside. The wayside is the outside or the far side. This, it means on the fringes. In other words, there was seed sown on the fringes. And he's really talking here about people that are not at all even close to receiving, but they're on the fringes. There's a real gap and a distance between them hearing the word. But somewhere along the way, they 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 got a they got a hold of a seed that was scattered, and they're on the wayside, and they got a hold of a piece of truth. It could have been through a preacher. It could have been through a friend. It could have been so. But the seed came. But now notice what Jesus says about that seed. And these are the ones on the wayside, and the word was sown, and when they hear, what happens? Everyone say it. Satan comes. Wow. Isn't that powerful? When they hear the word, Satan comes. Does that hit you? It hits me. What what does that tell you? You know what that tells me? That the devil comes to church. The devil comes to church. I'll never forget true story. I remember when I was interim pastor in Roseburg years ago, there was a guy. He he actually told me he didn't like my preaching one time. And uh, he had these earplugs in. And I didn't know what he was doing. But he was listening to, he loved baseball. And he even played football. And he went... He went like this during my preaching. And I thought, wow, he got something out of my word over there. Well, I come to find out his earplugs were in. Somebody made a home run or something. But, but when I would get up to speak, he, 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 he literally, he got excited. I, I thought he was excited about what I said. But he was excited that somebody either got out, got a home run. I don't know what it was. But, but he, and, and then when he, he did, well. And he, he kind of caught himself, and he kind of just kind of went down. But but he, my my point is, is I was thinking later about this that, that do you know, even any time the preaching is going on, I I don't want to blame the parishioners here because sometimes there are preachers that are just downright boring, and there's times I've been boring, obviously. But but what Jesus is trying to say here is that. When the word is preached, it says Satan comes immediately. Now, here's the point. If my mind is not prepared for that, if you are not prepared for the conflict and the battle and understand the, 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 the demonic assault against your mind, you are a sitting duck. Now, what does it mean that Satan comes immediately and he takes the seed out? Do you know what that means? When the seed is removed or the seed is taken, it can, that, that means you begin to reject the word or you oppose the word or you begin, the devil can drop a thought. I'll never forget, this has been a big one here. I remember there was a person 
that told me, actually more than one person on this one. I've had people say, you know, Pastor, I don't trust preachers. You guys are after women, power, and money. And I said, where do you come up with this stuff? Remember the Jimmy Swaggart and the Jim Baker thing? Yeah. I said, why would you whitewash all ministers because of what two people did? Well, we know you guys oh, never trust a preacher. And, and, and now, now, I know, I, I understand what the guy was saying. And it's sad when ministries do not represent the gospel. But do you know that that thought, every time that guy would hear the word, the devil, and he didn't know it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't put two and two together. And he said, but the devil was helping him to think, don't trust what they say. That's Satan stealing the word. Another way Satan steals the word is just distractions. You know, maybe, maybe, you, you, maybe today... Man, you're excited about doing something later on today or tomorrow or this week. Maybe you're starting a new job. That's a, that's a great thing to be excited about. But what if the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to you? I had a, a situation one time where <clears throat> a person was having a tough time getting to the house of the Lord. Well, this one time, they felt they needed to be there. And they were walking through in a very difficult experience in their life. And they, they were an individual that was led a lot by their emotions. Do you know what it means to be led by your emotions? To be led by your emotions or feelings means that you're a person who's dominated by this intuitive uh, desire. You do what you feel. You don't do what you need to do. Our world is like this. I, I do what I feel like. I don't do what I need to do. I do what I want to do. That's a dangerous way of thinking. Well, this individual decided to do something that was contrary to the way they felt, and they actually came to church. And guess what? When they came, the word happened to be the very answer that they needed that they were walking through. And they learned a lesson. Wow, I need to start not listening to what I feel, but start acting on what I need to do. Now, see, that is maturity. How many of you know that? See, babies do what? What they want. Why, why do we consider ourselves mature? Because we do what we what? Need to do. That's, that's what determines a baby from an adult. The Apostle Paul says, and I, I don't know about you, but this would be insulting because this is what he, he addressed the Corinthians this way. And not, I, I, I don't think this would happen in the American church. But the Apostle Paul was into name calling. And he says, you are all babies and you have need of milk. How many of you would like to hang around in a church like that if your pastor called you? You're just a bunch of babies and you need milk. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians. You know what the, you know what the thing was all about? Because Paul said there, you have divisions among you. Some say, I'm of Apollos. Some say, I'm of Paul. Some say, and this and I. And they were choosing sides because of the elders. It would be like this. It would be like this. Guess who's preaching tonight? Pastor David. Oh, I'm going to hear Pastor David. If it's Pastor Ray, I think I'll stay home and watch football. Praise God. 
Or is it John Stanson? Oh, no, John, John, John's, John's preaching? John? Oh, no. Uh, Pastor Ray's Oh, I'm going to Pastor Ray. But if, Dave, if David's... Oh, I'm going to be there. That was what the Corinthians were doing. The Corinthians would say this. Is Paul there tonight? Is Paul preaching? Paul, Paul, Paul's preaching? Paul's... I'm going to be there. Paul? You like Paul? Paul's too rough, man. He's, he's not sensitive. He, he's not eloquent like Apollos. The guy just preaches facts and foundational principle. I don't like Paul. I think we need more of Paul. Well, I don't think we need... I like Apollos because Apollos moves me. Oh, he tells stories so good. Oh, he just, he just draws me. He just draws that little child out of me. Just, I just start crying. See, I mean, that's, that's what happened in the early church. Apollos, the word Apollos means eloquent, by the way. He had a tremendous gift to speak. The apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 10, was, the Bible says, that his speech was rude. The Corinthians saw him as rude, and he also acknowledged a speech impediment. And so people in the church were saying, you know what? I can't learn anything from Paul, but by God, I love Apollos. And what Paul said, he, Paul gets up and he says, you are all vain. One of you say, oh, I'm of Apollos. The other guy says, well, Apollos, is, or Paul's, he's the man. The other says, I like that guy. And he says, you're, all, you're, you're missing it. Because the Bible says, all are important. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gets the increase. And he had to re-straighten out their thinking in that church. I, I remember years ago, I was in my own home church, and there was a guy, an elder. We had a church of 25 elders, and there was a guy that just bored me to tears. His name was Dean Bennett. He's dead. He's with the Lord, so I'm not worried about Dean Bennett. Thanks, God. But Dean Bennett, great guy, just an amazing man of God. But I... I honestly couldn't figure out why Pastor Iverson never had Dean Bennett. The guy just, he just couldn't talk. I mean, he just had a tough time. But he had him speak. And so, after worship, now don't anybody get any ideas from what I'm going to share here. But after worship, I slipped out and went home. And I'm going home because my mind was thinking, you know, Dean Bennett's preaching. I got Dean Bennett. I got to go here, Dean Bennett. And see, one of the things, uh, we, my, my wife and I, we were leaders, and one of the things about being a leadership, you, you, you had to be a church. You're, you're an example. Well, I decided to sneak out, and I'm driving down 82nd going home, and as I'm driving, I got the radio on, and I'm home, and I'm to, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. So, where are you going, Ray? I'm going home. Lord, I'm... Dean Bennett speaking. I, I just want to, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's a great, great guy, really is. But he's so boring. I mean, he just puts me to sleep. Holy Spirit says, what if I wanted to speak to you through Dean Bennett tonight? I'm not kidding. I, I'm, I'm having this talk with, the, I, I wasn't premeditating. This, these thoughts are coming to my head. I said, Lord, and I'm driving down 82nd, and the Lord said, I, I want you to turn around, go back to church. I'm not kidding you. And I, I, I felt convicted that I judged Dean Bennett because I'd heard him before, that he was boring. And I turned around and went back. 
And I came in about the middle of his message. And he was sharing a story about a crisis in his family. And what he walked through was amazing. And what he shared that night had to do with how God's grace was made perfect in weakness and how God could take something that the devil meant for evil, turn around, and it had to do with that kind of a principle. And I came back and I said, wow, what a message of, of uh, impartation and revelation. And I wrote that guy off because of something I'd heard about him before. And what I didn't realize, it was Satan coming and robbing the seed in me. Do you see, do you see what I'm saying here? So we, we need to be careful not to write people off because you have your favorites. By the way, there's nothing wrong with having favorites. But, but we need to realize that God can use and God will use everybody. And we, we need to be very careful about that. Now, Jesus here says, really important, he says, the wayside here is a person who's on the fringes. And when the word comes, Satan comes. The sad thing about this is this individual doesn't know that Satan is stealing the word. That's the sad thing. He doesn't even realize that Satan is setting him up. And what happens is when you find yourself critical or like me, writing a ministry off because I think they're boring, I didn't realize I just fell right into Satan's hand. I took the bait and went with it. And I wrote somebody off, and I didn't realize that I did that. Really dangerous. Are you all following me, what I'm saying here? Really, really important here. And so, this, well, thank you. Thank you, Dwight. I appreciate that. Praise God. And then Jesus goes on here to talk about the stony ground. Stony ground, they hear the word immediately, they receive it with gladness, but they have no root. And they only endure for a time afterward when tribulation arises for the word's sake. Notice what it says. It arises. Tribulation comes for the word. Why does it arise for the word? Because God loves when you go through tribulation. You know why? Because your tribulation gives God a chance to do something miraculous. When I allow God's word to have his way and I'm in that what I call that waiting period. How many have ever waited for God to do something? See, when you're waiting on God, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting on you, God. God's not doing nothing. That's when the word is working a root in you, developing a root. By the way, do you know that you can't see roots develop because they're under the surface? Roots are going down. See, we, we say, you know, God, you're not doing, I don't see God doing a whole lot in my life. No, he is. He's doing things inside you, beneath the surface. Well, I don't know what he's doing. He's working. Things are growing deeper. But here's the thing. We need to be, we need to not move. We need to stay steady and let God complete what he does. Instead of being anxious the tendency today is we live in a very restless generation. We're anxious, and when I don't see things happening fast enough, I move. I change. I run. I escape. i got to get involved. And, okay, God, you're not going to do it, so I'm going to take care of it myself. That's a dangerous thing. God is saying, be still. Know that I am God. What am I supposed to do? 
Give thanks. Wow, that's a lot. Give thanks. Praise Him. Worship Him. Now, but I've been waiting for a long, waiting a long time, God. Help. You know, and so we, we, get, we get antsy. And the Bible says they get antsy, and it says, for the word's sake. Tribulation comes for the word's sake. Immediately they stumble. They compromise. Then the third, by the way, stony ground is this. Stony ground means that there's good soil, but there are stones. Everyone say stones. Guess what a stone is? Stones are strongholds. Stones are strongholds in my life. You can have a lot of good in you, a lot of faith. You can have faith, but there are stones. There's things in my life that hinder root growth. It hinders. There's stones. There's things that are holding me back. A stronghold. Do you know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is anything that holds you binds you into a way of thinking or feeling or what you know you begin to limit yourself you begin to limit others you begin to say you know what I can't make it that's stony ground stony ground also is when a person begins to make God small you know God's just not going to come through that's stony ground you become indifferent you become revengeful offended you become full of fear and then you begin to act out and you begin to make some desperate decisions without his timing. That's a stony ground. Then the third one was, these are those, verse 18, sown among thorns are the ones who hear the word. They hear the word, but the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things... Other things. Everyone say other things. The desire for other things. They might even be good things. But they were other things. Pastor, I, I know I need to be in the house of the Lord. I know I need to be in prayer. I need to be working with my family and discipling and growing in the Lord. But I got these other things. These other things. You know, I got some friends over here and they want my time. And, you know, we just need to connect and get together. And I know I need to be in the presence of the Lord in the house of God and seeking your faith. But I got other things. Other things. Could be family. Other things. Things. How many of you know we got a lot of things pulling on us? Things pull, keeping you away from the house, keeping you away from reading your Bible. I got things. I, I got, I got things. I just got to move along. I got to take care of the day. I got, I got termites in my house. I got rodents in my roof. I've got other things. By the way, those are other things that are important, and you need to take care of those things. But it's also learning to manage. Our time, but Jesus is talking about these things that choke the word. Then the last one here, but these are those who were sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some 30, 40, 60, and 100 fold. These are the ones who good ground. Now, down in your notes here, I'm going to give you four things. This is found out of Hosea 10 4. What is a good ground believer? Good ground. Number one, in fact, just let me, let me go ahead and read it because I don't want to, uh, I think it's important. Notice what it says, Hosea 10, verse 12. This is called the good ground text. Sow for yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground 
For it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and reigns righteousness. But you have plowed wickedness, you've reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. Therefore, the atonement shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be plundered. He goes on to say here. But four things, uh, really quickly, because my time is going here. Good ground. Let Let me give you a little story here, a true story. Years ago, I was raised on a farm, and we had this pathway. <clears throat> we, had a, we had these cow paths. How many have ever been on a farm? Well, I was on this farm, and, and, and my dad asked my brother and I, was, I think it was in my sophomore year in high school, he asked my brother and I to uh, do some plowing and to take about 25 by 50 foot chunk of earth and plow it, and they wanted to make a garden. We're going to plant carrots, cabbage, lettuce, strawberries, all this. And uh, my dad told me exactly where he wanted us. And so my brother and I, we begin to take some shovels and begin to turn the earth over. That's what you got to do. You got to take the sod out of it, shake the dirt out of the sod, let the dirt fall. One of the, the, one of the problems, though, is where he wanted us to put this garden was on a cow path. A cow path is a path that these one-ton cows are walking on. It developed a rut. You may have ever seen a cow path, a horse path, where animals in, in this. And when we got, my brother and I got to this cow path, because this cow path went right through this area that my dad wanted our garden to be, I'm starting to put my spade and my shovel, and I, it was like rock. It was rock. And I couldn't get that. I mean, so we, we basically built the, the garden around the cow path. Dad comes home that night and says, Ray, uh, he didn't dig up the garden. I said, Dad, I can't. I can't do anything about the cow path. you got a one-ton beast walking on this thing. They've been doing it for years. I can't get through. You know? And so we had, we, by the way, we had picks. I, we wouldn't have a pick. We were trying to pick that. And we did make some headway. But my dad... You know, in his wisdom, he said, Ray, you got to take water and saturate the ground. Well, I did that. I mean, uh, what happened was the water ran off the top because the dirt was so compact. And so he says, what you got to do is you got to just let the water continue. to." We had fresh mountain water, so we, we weren't on the city meter or anything like that. We could run water all day long because we were on a, on a spring. We were connected to a spring. So we let the water run for 24 hours, and the next day, the spade of that shovel went right down in that ground. I was blown away. I mean, the point is this. Good ground Christians are grounds that's been watered in the presence of the Lord. That's why we need the presence. We need worship. You know why we worship here? One of the reasons why we worship is so your heart can be softened. Your heart. Because how many of you have ever felt like life has a way of trampling you down? You know, the purpose of the house of the Lord is to be a place of refreshing for you. It's to be a place where you're watered. Because you're getting beat down, walked over trample down enough, aren't we? And so we, 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 need, we need the watering of the Holy Spirit. So on your notes here, 
Number one, good ground starts with a receptive ground that the word can be sown in. He said, sow to yourselves in righteousness. I've got to have a sowing mindset. Good ground people are people that understand the importance of what I call the seed principle. Everything starts in seed form. Everyone say seed form. I need the seed in my life. Jesus said your heart and your mind is the ground. But is your ground, is your heart receptive? Now that's one of the things we're going to be talking about a little later here. Number two, ground that is full of expectancy. It's not only that I'm, I'm a seed man and I, I believe in the importance of seed theology and seed principle, but I need to be an individual that is expecting. Do you know what? When my brother and I, we were planting that garden, we were expecting fruit. How many here, when you come to church, now you don't have to raise your hands on this. I don't want to put anybody in my But how many here, when you come to church, you expect God to move? I mean, really, I mean, some people say, well, I'm going to church because I wonder what God will do. I wonder, I wonder if anything's going to happen. That's not expectancy. Expectancy says, I know God's going to show up. You know what? I, I, I remember hearing Benny Hinn one time. Benny Hinn used to say, you know what? The power is not in me. One of the reasons why people would come and they'd see miracles is because they expected it. When you come with expectancy, it's amazing what will happen. But if you come, well, well, I don't know if God's going to move in this place. I don't know. You know who's preaching? Pastor Ray's preaching tonight. Well, when David preaches, man, things the heaven opens up there. Praise God. But by the way, my son David's awesome minister. But I'm just saying that it's so important. And I'm not just talking about preaching. It could be who's ever leading worship. It could be who's ever comes up with a prophetic word. You know, we need to have it. You know, God's going God's to move. My wife and I, we actually make certain declarations over our family. We make declarations over a home. Carol and I, we declare the prosperity and provision of God. We declare that over our lives. We declare it in our home. We declare it in the living room. We declare it in our bedroom. We declare his presence. I declare over my wife that she is an amazing, mighty woman of God. I tell her that all the time. And you know what? My words are powerful and they are creative and it comes to pass and I expect her and I believe she will walk in that prosperity. That's what happens. But you have to declare it. So see, I'm, I'm reaping, I'm reaping. The idea of reaping in mercy, as Hosea says, that because of the mercy of God, I'm expecting mercy, I'm expecting God to do. He, he loves that. He does not like it. Can you imagine a parent having a birthday party or a Christmas party for your children? You went out and you got all the gifts and it's Christmas Day and your kids come and say... Dad, I don't want to open the presents. Why? Well, I don't know. I, I just kind of got a funny feeling you don't like me. You'll probably end up taking it back to the store anyway. Why would you think the son, I want you to enjoy my presents. I love you. No, no, no. I know, no, no you're probably giving them to me because you want something else. But people can think like that. 
Now, you, that would break your heart, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it break your heart if you gave something to someone and they won't even open it? They don't expect anything good from There's a lot of people that are broken in the house of God like that. God, I just don't expect you to move for me. I just don't expect it. See, a person like that, by the way, I don't want to be condescending or condemning on an individual because there's a lot of people. Again, because of strongholds and because of, of, of some very, very poor influences that have been around their life. The, the lack of the knowledge of, wor- of, of the word, the, the lack of, of understanding the grace of God, the lack of knowledge of who Jesus is and his, his giving heart, his, his, his desire to bless his people abundantly. Uh, there are people today that have such a negative, narrow, small-minded view of God. God. He's a judgmental, hard master to serve under, and he expects so much but gives so little. And that's the way they think about God. It's really tragic. I cannot tell you how many people I've prayed with over my, my lifetime where people have had a view of God is so narrow and negative. And you know why? Because they were around fathers, mothers, preachers, teachers, ministries. That, that never conveyed the kind of life or expectancy. They, they never communicated uh, life to the people under them, and so they become, their view of God has been shaped by the, the family, the ministries, the friendships, the leaders in their life that they've only known. And so that's why the house of God in this church, what we're doing and our attempt is, is to enlarge your knowledge. Our desire is to make God beautiful for you. We want Jesus to be so awesome and so beautiful that you want to repent and turn from sin. Isn't that the way we should teach it? You know, we're not going to hammer it and... sledgehammer the truth into your head. What we want to do is we want to apply the word with the the refreshing presence and grace of God. Number three, uh, notice what it says. He also says here in Hosea 10, he says to break up your fallow ground. You know what that means? When you take the spade and you turn the soil over, it means to turn In other words, this means here on on point number three, your ground that is teachable. Can God teach you something? Can't he change your way of thinking? Can he increase? Can he bring increase? See, plowing up the fallow ground is, is this. Well, you know what? I've been this way. And wow. I'm going to turn some things over. This, it means to turn. God's turn, turning me around and turning me upside down. And I've been full of fear. I've been full of small-mindedness. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to start thinking large. I'm going to start seeing myself the way Jesus is. He's large. He's beautiful. He's awesome. And I'm large. I'm beautiful. And I'm awesome. Amen. 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 See, God wants you... To see yourself as he is. You know, it's amazing. All of us that have children, our children are in our image, made in our image. And uh, there's, there's pieces of them. And, and they, they also have their own individuality. But we see parts of ourselves in our children. God gave, gave us that demonstration for a reason. He wants us to see 
himself in us. And, uh, you know, I, I tell my wife as much as I can. I say, you know, Carol, I see Jesus in you. Tell that to my kids. I see Jesus. I see the glory of God on you. What do you, what do you say that for, Ray? Why do you actually tell people that? Because I am affirming that on them because I want them to know that the Holy Spirit is working in their life. I want to affirm them. It is important that we as Christians and brothers and sisters affirm. Do you know why the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that you may uh, know what is the will of God. And then he says, and that you be transformed in the, in the renewing of your mind. Notice what he says there. Before I can renew my mind, I must offer my body a living sacrifice. Why does my body have to be a sacrifice? You can't change your body until you can't change your mind until your body is cooperating with things that you need to walk out. You have to, there's going to be things that you need to change in your mind that God is actually going to want me to walk out. For instance, <clears throat> how many can here can say I really love Jesus? Okay? Now, you can think that all day long. But you know the Bible also says in Timothy that we are to worship the Lord by what? The lifting of holy hands without wrath and doubting. Why does he say worship involves lifting holy hands? Why why do I need to lift my hands? Do you know what God's doing? Do you know when you begin to exercise your body... By the way, some of you may not know this. Have you noticed that when Pastor Ray worships the Lord, he does it out loud? Have you noticed that? Some of you say, well, Pastor, I, I don't do it out loud. Do you know why? I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice. Do you know why? Because when you begin to engage your body and your mouth, it transforms your mind. See, you will not, your mind does not transform until your body has been offered as a living sacrifice. Now, you, you may say, well, Pastor Ray, how many here have ever decided to lose weight? How many here have ever gotten a video on exercise? You know what I used to do? I, I got a few videos in my lifetime, and I will watch those girls run their little legs off while I'm drinking my milkshake. <laughs> and I'm saying, go, go, go. Oh, it's really changing my mind. Now, you all think, Pastor Ray, you are stupid. You're right. It's pure stupid. Well, well, if I'm going to change, by the way, how many of you know dieting has nothing to do with just changing eating habits, but it's changing your mind. See, dieting has to do, or, or if you're going, and by the way, I've learned something about dieting. Dieting isn't just changing your menu, but it's changing your taste. And it's not just about, I mean, I, I used to say, okay, oh, Carol and I, we do the, Carol, let's go on a diet. Okay. No more buffets. No more this. No more that. Okay, let's just drink water for a month. So we drink water. We felt really good about the fact that we did those things. But, it's, but let me tell you, about halfway through, I'm thinking, how many more days till I can have a Coca-Cola? I'm telling you, that, that, that's me. That's, I'm just being honest about me. 
But you know the problem was? I wasn't engaging my body. The same thing with worship. Now, somebody could sit here and say, well, Pastor Wright, I think you're just kind of leaning towards legalism here because you're telling people we've got to lift up holy hands and worship and shout out. No, the Bible says to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. When you begin to praise the Lord and you begin to worship and then you lift your hands, and I know it's not natural. In fact, when you begin to worship God and you begin to lift your hands to the Lord, you, the flesh begins to say, everybody's looking at you. <laughs> and they're going to think you're a creep and a kook and you're weird. And you need to realize that that's exactly what the devil wants you to think. But see, I'm not here for you. Now, here's another thing about worship and the renewing of the mind. Well, Pastor, I just think worship and prayer is more of an intimate, private, personal matter. And I just don't think I need to go be shouting everything that's in my heart out to everybody here. No, let, let me tell you something. You need to understand that when we come together as a corporate body... Your words with my words, your volume with my volume, your strength with my strength is like an entire body working together. Now, there are things in my personal prayer closet in private life. I talk to God on an intimate basis that I don't say here. For instance, let me give you an example. I'm just going to make something up. Oh, God, thank you, Lord, for delivering me from slander and gossip, oh, Jesus. I've had a hardened heart this week, and I've forgiven all my brothers and sisters that I really do not like. I would never do that. I don't talk. See, that's an intimate. I'd say, Lord, boy, I'm wrestling, Lord, was in my See, there's things. It's like a marriage. There are things that I talk to my wife on an intimate level that my wife and I don't talk in public about. The same thing in worship. There are things. See, if this church begin to engage in verbal, audible, active worship that the Bible actually teaches, where he says in Acts 15, I will restore and rebuild the tabernacle of David as and repair its ruins. Do you know what that means? David was radical. He was excited. He was a dynamic. He was an Old Testament patriarch that had a new covenant understanding. He was a worshiper. And see, when you're truly free and renewed in your mind, you're, you're, not, you're not conscious and you're not worried about other people. Because the only thing, when you're really healthy, all you're worried about is pleasing him. And when you're really worried about, or when you really understand the power. See, when I worship God, worship is not just an act of obedience to do as well and to be a blessing in the kingdom. That's part of worship, but that's not. There is the power of praise. When I worship and praise and I adore the Lord, there's something about praise that begins to take the physical body. It begins to take your body. And when you begin to, the Bible says, when we begin to offer unto God the sacrifice of praise with the fruit of our lips, and we begin to enter in his praise. In the renewing of our minds like this, the Bible says, God inhabits the praises. He didn't say he inhabits your thoughts. He didn't say that he inhabits your silence. He inhabits the praise. Heaven, Pastor Ray, I've had a bad day, a bummer day. I just don't feel like praising. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. I'm hungry. And that's the best time to worship. Amen. Yeah, but I don't want to. 
I know. See, that's the conflict. How many of you know that's the battle? That's what Romans 12, 1, 2, I therefore by the mercies of God beseech you that you offer unto God the sacrifice of your body. It says a willing sacrifice. Willing. It's possible to bring God a sacrifice, but it's not willing. It has to be willing. When you begin to worship God, how many here have ever worshipped God for any length of time and you experience just a sense of fresh baptism of His presence and life? You know, I'll never forget years ago when uh, <clears throat> Reg Lizelle in our church, we were not a praying, we were not a worshiping church. We didn't understand the significance of the priesthood of the believer as priests. We just saw ourselves as a little church there in 76 in Gleason in Portland, Oregon. And one day, Reg Lizelle said, and, and another thing we thought about worship, we thought worship shouldn't happen unless you felt God. That's the way we used to think. Oh, I'm not going to worship God because it'll be hypocritical. How many here have ever told your wife you loved her when you didn't feel like it? Well, we'll have to pray for the rest of you. <laughs> or your spouse. There's been times I say, you know, Carol, I, I love you. And she's asked me something. Do you mean it? Yes, I do mean it. I know you're working on it, Ray. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, I'm working on it. You know what David said in Psalms 18? David says this. I will praise you, Lord, my strength. He did, David didn't say, Lord, I praise you, Lord. David said, I will praise you. You see, my strength. You never find strength until you activate your will. David said, I will. Do you know why? By the way, Psalms 18 was written when he was running from Saul. He didn't have any reason to praise God. He was a fugitive. David was doing everything right. Then everything wrong was happening. David said, you know what? I'm going to get my soul into alignment. I'm going to worship the Lord. And he began to cultivate in his heart a heart of worship. And he began to worship the Lord. I will praise you, God. I don't understand everything that's going on. I will sing a new song unto you, Lord, my God. You're my source. You're my hope. You're the salvation. You are the, the, the saving grace of my salvation. I look to you, oh God. It's kind of like this. I don't know if the piano is on up here. Is the piano on up here, Leanne? Can you imagine? See, a, a worship service is like a string of pianos. And let's say that Brother C comes and he starts worshiping the Lord. Thank God for Brother C. And then Sister G joins in. Ah, and Brother E decides to come in, and another we worship the Lord. And it creates a symphony, and the presence of the Lord becomes like a smoke that fills the house. But can you imagine, all these other keys are inactive. 
And they're just standing there. But brother, see, he's out there doing it by himself. He's hoping that the rest of them will join in. It kind of becomes a little empty. But when everybody begins to catch the revelation about worship, they begin to catch the revelation about the presence. And it's not about one man. It's not about one voice. But it's about a sea of voices. It's it's all of us together understanding the priesthood ministry and, and the worship and our minds. By the way, you know what's amazing? When you begin to worship God, you might have come in stressed and depressed and you might have been burned out and hurt, but it's the presence of God that what does it do? It just lifts you right into the very place of God's glory. And and you and you, you, you I've, I've, I've had, this actually happened because I as a builder, I'd be so burned out, so tired and I remember telling Carol many times that Carol I don't think I'm going to make it to church on midweek services is back in Portland I said I am so tired I've been working on a roof or building a wall or doing something during the day and Carol would say Ray you need to go your boys need to see you in the house of God. okay I'll come and I was tired and I'd come anyway and when I got there begin to lift my hands and I was tired I just don't love, thank you, Lord. God, I just need your presence. About five minutes, ten minutes, worshiping the Lord. All of a sudden, I forgot the pain. And I would come out of that church in Bible, to, our midweek service. Carol, let's go to Taco Bell now. Ready to go, man. I'm, this is good. And she says, I thought you were too tired, Ray. I'm feeling a lot better right now. I don't know what happened. Man, I feel like I just got plugged into the juice tonight, man. Worship. You see, when, and notice the last thing here that Hosea says. The last thing that's a good ground believer is a watered ground. One who can receive the refreshing and strength from the presence of the Lord. Let me close with this scripture. Wow, my time is gone. Let me close with this scripture and I'm, I'm done. It's found in Psalms 37. Psalms 37. Really powerful text here. It says, trust, verse 3, 37, 3. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. What does He say? Delight in Him, and He will what? Give you the desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. Can you say amen? amen. Renewing the mind. Everybody put your hand, head on your hands on your head. <laughs> put your hands on your head here. Father, we just declare a renewed mind. We declare a mind that is clear. We declare a mind that is full 
a faith mind that is receptive to the seed of the word. We declare as we lay hands on our mind that we have the mind of Christ. Father, a mind whose heart will follow hard after God. A mind who, Lord, understands the importance and the position and the place of each believer, including myself, my family. Lord, I just pray right now as I lay my hands on my mind that whatsoever things are pure and just and good and holy and clean, whatsoever, if there be any praise, any virtue, if there be any honor, Lord, this mind will dwell and think and possess those thoughts. I take, I take authority over every stronghold in my mind that would keep me from buy, buying me from the fullness and all that God has for me. I pray that my mind will be enlarged. My mind would be receptive. My mind will begin to think God-honoring, God-creative thoughts, thoughts of blessing, thoughts to serve, thoughts, Lord, and thoughts that... Uh, Involve even uh, embracing my enemies, loving my enemies, being a blessing to those that I don't even agree with. Father, I pray that my mind and my actions will be that which glorifies you in all that we say and do. We thank you for the series. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for Brother James and Brother David who assisted in this amazing series on the renewing of the mind. We pray as we come into the summer months, Lord, that you would just be with us as we tackle on these new things in Jesus name and everyone said just to let you know really quickly I know our time is gone this is our last teaching night tonight through June and July we're going to be having different things through the summer activities relational things Uh, next Monday we're going to be meeting for those who would like to come to the lake can have a picnic and so but we're, Carol's putting together a calendar, and so we're going to be having different variety of things. We're kind of giving our teachers a break through the summer, but we're going to have a lot of relational things. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great night. Be blessed. Amen.